Well, hello, hello. Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. I'm Rachel Amaday. What a pleasure to be here with you all today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for studying the Word of God and your Bible. You know, I have been answering a slew of questions lately from people who I just feel like God has put in my path and uh, people who are curious about my walk and about what I'm teaching and about some of the things that I wrote in my book. And um, by the way, FYI, as proof and evidence that we all, uh, each and every one of us, none of us has all the answers. There are things in my book that I wish I could go back and adjust already. (laughs) Um, But the heart is still there. And much of what I wrote, I would say 99% of it, I'm still on board with. But Uh, I am constantly learning and growing, and it is so fun to meet other people who are learning and growing. And I just want to say that we each are going to have some different opinions and different doctrines. And what I hope our pursuit is going to be, what I hope it is, is that it's after the truth, whatever the closest truth is, and that we're following whatever that is, because that so much of our conscience, right, leads us to find that truth, and then we do our best with it. None of us is God. We don't know everything, but we're trying to learn. And so today is a great example where I'm heavily relying on some other resources for some of my discussion, but I'm also just relying on pure logic, just what I see in scripture from front to back. And hopefully I I lay out something for you that makes sense to you. But if you have some areas of disagreement or there's some other facts out there, we should discuss them. We should talk about them. Although I believe this issue I'm going to discuss today is pretty cut and dry um, because it comes up throughout Scripture. But on so many issues, I believe there really are gray areas. Um, there are really interesting questions and discussions. I, mean, I you know, was talking to someone today about, you know, is God feminine? And is there a feminine aspect to God? Well, I believe there is because the Bible tells us that, you know, Male and female, he made them in the image of God. He made them right. Both of both male and female are made in God's image. So there has to be something that's part of God that's feminine. But I believe there are real psychological reasons and real aspects of God that are fatherhood, you know, based and um, male based, and we are supposed to think of him that way, given some of the language of Scripture. Um, So there's a mystery there, and it's okay to live with the gray area of that mystery, but also to not deny that God has both male and female aspects. He has to, given the creation story, and that it's important to remember women are also made in the image of God, (laughs) and equally so, and we cannot forget that, and we cannot just drop, you know, the male and the female because God might be gender neutral or something ridiculous like that. Like, that is a line of thinking we shouldn't go down, but God does contain all. He is all. All creation came from Him, and so... Uh, Again, I think Dennis Prager does a great job explaining the psychological reasons why he needs to be a he and especially with the human mind and and the fallen man. But um, we don't have all the answers. What we know is that God is spirit. And that's what the Bible tells us. And so when God says, I am, it's it's this all-encompassing idea of God is greater than anything we could possibly imagine. And he is beyond what we can fathom. And we have to live with that tension. Um, today's topic is one that is, 
I believe it's the cultural topic of the day, just like during the days of Paul, you know, one of the main cultural topics was circumcision among others, but circumcision was a big deal for both the Romans and the Jews. And so there was debate and a lot of debate. This is a topic that has been under heavy debate. And I think we have got to handle it from a scriptural perspective in love. And here's the thing. There is no love without truth. If you if you believe that loving people is lying to make them feel comfortable, you have missed the point. Truth and love are hand in hand. How can you love somebody really if you're not honest about who they are? You know, the person that you love most in your life, they are flawed and you love them flaws and all. You don't lie to yourself about who they are, right? To really love them, you have to love them as they are. Well, the same thing is true about these topics that we discuss that are very difficult. You, in order to love people, you have to be willing to be honest about things because only God's truth can set you free. And if you don't have God's truth, you can stay in a cage for your entire life. And that is a tragedy. And so in love, we tell the truth about things. And today, today I'm going to do a response. This was from um, a listener. I'm I'm glad he sent this in because I wasn't aware this film was coming out. Um, but today we're going to talk about homosexuality in scripture. Does the Bible really say that homosexual behavior is sinful? We're going to talk about this because there is a film that is coming out. I don't believe it's been released. I think it's about to be released called 1946. And, um, Let's just let's just dig right in. You know, again, I want to remind you today that this discussion in every every place that we go, when we talk about these harder issues with people, just remember why you're doing it. You're not doing it to be right. You're not doing it because um, it's going to make you more intelligent or to win. We do this because God's heart is grieved when we live in sin. And when we drag his name through the mud because of it, when we say that he approves of our sin, we do great damage and we violate the third commandment, which is to not take the Lord's name in vain. So we should be careful about how we have these discussions and make sure that we are loving the people in front of us as we have these conversations, but telling them the truth. Okay, this film, so this is a response to what I've seen so far about the claims of this film. This movie um, basically makes the claim that the term homosexual appearing in 1 Corinthians 6.9 and 1 Timothy 1.10 was incorrectly put in. And it seems like the entire film is kind of built on this particular premise and someone coming forward and saying that in 1946 they decided to do this and it was wrong because it's not the right term, something along those lines. Now, you know, I have no problem with questioning some of the language of the scripture that we have because, boy, do we have translation translational problems, and we really do. There is a lot, and there are a lot of places where we can question what the text is saying. And we can do that based on all sorts of things, writing styles of the authors that are involved, uh, different historical versions of the text. Does it match up with the rest of Scripture? Can it be found in the first five books of the Bible? There are all sorts of ways to test what you're reading throughout Scripture. Is it part of the cycles of God? Is it repeated? You know, a, a witness to everything has to be established at least twice. So does it show up at least twice in Scripture, the concept? So many ways to test it. 
So I don't have a problem with people questioning some of the language of our English translations. But let's dig into this particular claim a little bit more because what they do is they extrapolate the concept that because the term homosexual was put in there in 1946, that... um, God never really intended to say that homosexuality was wrong and that in the New Testament uh, we have permission, at least in some sorts of ways, to behave sexually uh, in a homosexual way. And so we need to dig into whether or not that's really there in the Bible. Let's talk about the term homosexual itself. This term was coined in German in 1869, and it was not used outside of German psychiatry, basically, until the 20th century. So in reality, the movie is telling a truth, Um, but that does not mean that the concept of homosexuality did not exist previously. Of course it did. Um, So the problem with this claim, as many of the modern church and modern doctrine claims seem to have the same problem, it's that it completely ignores the Old Testament once again. But the modern church has done this in general. The modern church has said God's laws don't apply anymore, except for the Ten Commandments in some cases, I suppose, and except for tithing, right? If you go to church, they ask for your money. They still believe in tithing. But you know what? They have thrown out so much of the other law. And so it becomes a little hypocritical to say, well, but I find it in Deuteronomy and Leviticus because, hey, you don't really apply all the other laws as equally. So unless you're ready to say that all of the the laws of God stand firm— you can have our time with this, but for those of you that do, and I certainly do, let's talk about where we first find the concept of men laying with men and women trading, you know, their natural sexual activity for unnatural, okay? Because this is what the Old Testament describes. Uh, I just want to make the point, since the modern church has done away with so many of God's laws, they really fear to go back to the Old Testament for this reference. But we should have no fear because we know who God is. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be in a thousand years. So I want to go back to the Old Testament. Let's start with Genesis. In Genesis, we find God's perfect, ideal union for mankind. What he creates for Adam is a female, an adult female. This is what God says is man's perfect partner, someone who is opposite of him, someone who will oppose him, someone who will think differently, someone who will question him, and he will do the same of her. This is the perfect union. This is the ideal pairing for many reasons, but I think one of the great reasons is because this is the pairing that can produce life. Adam could not have children if he had been paired with another man, and God wanted Adam to be fruitful and multiply. God loves life. He commanded this of all of his creation to be fruitful and multiply. Well, as humans, the only way we can be fruitful and multiply is if we are paired with our sexual opposite, our gender opposite. And so this is a biological discussion, number one. Um, But number two, this is a spiritual issue as well, because I believe it's not just the physical union, but I believe that there are aspects to female and male that are spiritual that create wholeness and perfect union. There's also mindset differences. There are physiological differences where you make up for each other's weaknesses and you bolster each other's strengths. This is something that when we defy the will of God in this area, we are defying who he actually is. Because as I said previously, both male and female were created in God's image, which means 
within God is the unity, the union of all these qualities that was able to make such a beautiful creation and to create from. And we have to unite to one another to have that same co-creative ability to produce life. Male and female in not just any sort of union, in covenantal union, is a picture of God himself. Anything else is a distortion of the male and female in God, okay? So we have a relationship ideal set. This is what God made for man, and and woman is kind of this apex of creation, but he is made for her as well. And they are equal, okay? And they make wholeness, and they can create life. I know that a lot of people will bring up the concept, well, some people can't have children. Are they, you know, outside of God or whatnot? And I just want to say this. I believe many people today tragically can't have children because of the fall. Number one, it's not a perfect world anymore, but also because of the sins of mankind. You know, what we've done to our food sources that cause endocrine disruption and hormone disruption, especially in girls, what we've done with drugs and medications, what we've done with our lifestyles, choices and stress, and just every Every aspect of the fall of mankind has affected our ability to have kids. And I do think that God mourns for that. But God closed the womb of, you know, Rachel in scripture and waited and, you know, until the right moment for it to be opened. I mean, God has control of that for sure. The issue really is about our pride. When we go to God and we say, no, we want it our way. We want to have sex outside of marriage. We want to have sex with who we want to have sex with. We are willing to be in relationships that would cut off our generations. That's when we're in full-on rebellion and sin against the Lord. And this is what is happening and described in the Old Testament with homosexuality. But, you know, one, let me put it from a loving father's perspective. You know, God can see the potential for all the generations of a human being. He can see your children and your children's children, right? He lives outside of the time that we're restricted to. I believe his heart breaks for those people who were supposed to have union with, a, with their opposite and to create children and to create generations. I believe that breaks his heart because that potential is absolutely there. And for there are plenty of people who have chosen ministry and chosen not to get married. That's okay. If that's what God calls you to, that's okay. What isn't okay is for us to choose unions and sexual relationships outside of covenantal marriage and outside of a male-female adult partnership that violate the image of God. And that also puts you in rebellion against ever having generations of your own. You cut off your lineage on purpose. And so we have a lot to deal with here, Where whether it's personal rebellion. Maybe you're supposed to have children and you're just like, forget it, God, I don't want to, but God wants you to. Or maybe it's, you know, a homosexual relationship where you've just said, this is just what I want to do and what I'm going to do. Or maybe it's you are having that relationship outside of a covenantal marriage. All of those things our rebellion against the Lord, right? Every single one of them. Um, But let's keep talking today about this particular movie, this particular issue. I just kind of want to throw it out there that, you know, God has a heart with this. It's not just him being mean and trying to restrict you. It's because what you do in this particular type of relationship is a reflection of the spiritual realm and could end up ending a lineage of human beings. And that is not something that I think God likes. 
Okay, but let's keep going. So we've dealt a little bit in Genesis here. Let's talk about um, Numbers 25.3. There's this time where it says, so Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and Adonai's anger burned against them. Let's talk about what Baal of Peor means. It means Lord of Holes. And as you can imagine, what was going on here is they yoked themselves to a god of sexual perversion. And so any hole that was in your body was available for sexual intercourse. And God hated this, right? His anger burned against them. He despised this. So um, we have a very clear directive here that you're not just supposed to stick things into any parts of other people's bodies. That is not something that God approves of. Uh, Leviticus 20, 13. If a man also lieth with a man as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Here we have it just laid out, delineated, right? So we know we don't have the word homosexual yet um, for this translation, you know, in the Old Testament. But this is how God describes homosexual behavior. If you do this thing with someone else, this is an abomination to the Lord. Okay, our God, again, is a God of life. Every law in the Old Testament, when you dig down deep, has to do with life and death, life preservation and the continuation of life at every level, both spiritual and physical. Okay, it's abominable. That's what God said in Leviticus. So unfortunately, in order to get to a place where you think that God approves of it, you have to change the character of God. But the Bible tells us God's character doesn't change. So we have issue. We have big issue here. But the problem is the American church has abandoned the law of God. And so they have very shaky ground when they when they want to use Leviticus as their reasoning, because any thinking person could go to them and say, yeah, but you don't believe these other laws. You don't eat kosher. You don't do God's Sabbath days. You don't really observe all the laws of God. So you're just picking and choosing. And that critique would be absolutely accurate. So we have to believe in the fullness of God's law, right? All right. So let's come back to the New Testament then here. And let's look at some accurate translations regarding the verses that are in question in this movie. So um, I found an author that was very, you know, very well researched, and um, I, I'm going to quote from him in a second. Um, but he uses this updated American Standard Version of the Bible, which states, this First Corinthians verse states this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men of passive homosexual acts, nor men of active sexual acts. Okay, so this is a particular translation that's been able to take these words and kind of explain them in a little bit more detail. And there are two Greek terms here used for passive sexual and active sexual acts. And here are those terms. The passive uh, Greek word malakos is used for the passive sexual act. And this it means um, soft or effeminate. Okay. The other Greek term used for active sexual activity is arsenokoites, which means sodomite or homosexual. 
Strong's tells us that malikos, the passive, means homosexual passive partner in the male-to-male sexual act, and ars nekoites means male homosexual, one who takes the active male role in homosexual intercourse. So this is just discussing these two different types of partners. Okay, why does Paul discuss it this way? So let's look at some cultural context to see why Paul would describe it this way. According to David E. Garland, and I'm going to do a very long quote here because I want you to fully understand the culture of the time. I've discussed so often how the Bible is written for us, but it was not written to us. And so in order for us to fully understand it, we have to go back to the cultures it was written to to get that context, okay? So here's what's going on at the time with homosexuality. According to David E. Garland, and I quote, pederasty, man who has sex with boy, was the most common male homosexual act in the ancient world. That is because sexual propriety was judged according to social values. The ancients did not classify kinds of sexual desire or behavior according to the sameness or difference of the sexes of the persons who engaged in a sexual act. Rather, they evaluated sexual acts according to the degree to which such acts either violated or conformed conformed to the norms of conduct deemed appropriate to individual sexual actors by reason of their gender, age, and social status. A person's rank and status determined what was considered acceptable or unacceptable. On one side were free males. On the other side were women and slaves. A free male was free to choose women, men, or boys as sexual objects without the majority taking offense as long as he did not demean his status as a free male. A free male could not indulge in passive acts of love. Um, so basically, and he goes on a little bit there, Basically, in order to keep their free status, in order to keep their dignity in society, they had to be the arsenicoides, the one who has the active male role, okay? I'm going to keep reading here. I quote, but he could use boys, slaves, or persons of no account with impunity as long as he remained on top. Phallic insertion functioned as a marker of male precedence. It also expressed social domination and seniority. Any sexual relation that involved the penetration of a social inferior, whether inferior in age, gender, or status, qualified as sexually normal for a male, irrespective of the penetrated person's anatomical sex, whereas to be sexually penetrated was always potentially shaming, especially for a free male of citizen status. Homosexual acts between free males were regarded with contempt because one partner would have to take on the passive role, suited only to women and slaves. We see this cultural attitude manifested in Petronius's novel Satyricon. Two close friends, Encolpius and Asiltus, fight over the sexual favors of their slave boy, Gittin, but they never engage in any homosexual act between themselves. It should be noted also that neither sexual desire nor sexual pleasure represented an acceptable motive for a boy's compliance with the sexual demands of his lover. The younger partner was not to be motivated by or express passionate sexual desire for his senior lover, lest he compromise his own future status as a man. As a result, sexually receptive or effeminate males were ridiculed. Society would have considered same-sex sexual acts between two men of equal standing to be shameful. What some in modern society find acceptable, male same-sex eroticism between equals in a committed relationship, would have been condemned in ancient society. Dover contends that that penetration was not regarded as an expression of love, but as an aggressive act demonstrating the superiority of the active to the passive partner. 
J. Davidson challenges this interpretation as anachronistic, but imposes his own biases on the evidence and does not. Okay, so he's he's kind of talking about a different argument there, but basically they have this this these different roles that Paul is talking about um, in First Corinthians, and so Paul actually says both are wrong. Neither to be passively homosexual or actively homosexual. God wants neither. Okay. But he's stating both in that verse because of that. So, what else in the New Testament testifies to this? Let's go to Jude, Jude 7, which states In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So, while we do know that part of the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed is because they had very corrupt judges, we also see that they were very, they would ill-treat strangers, and this is a big deal to God. But in Jude, it states, yeah, but one of their big problems is actually sexual perversion. Um, they were immoral in that in that regard as well, on top of all of their other sins that was a part of the fire that they experienced. Then we have Romans 1, 24 through 32, which states this, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were violently inflamed in their lust toward one another. Males with males committing the shameless deed and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So dishonoring your body is dishonoring the image of God because you are made in the image of God. When we work on righteousness outside of his image, we desecrate our bodies. So the author in the article I was just reading to you notes that the word used for male and female in Romans 1, the verse I just read, these are the same words used to describe male and female from the creation story. Paul uses those words on purpose. He doesn't say woman and man. He says male and female to help us understand that God created male and female to be union, un, united. That is the ideal union. He wanted to take you back to the Genesis story just like I did at the beginning of this discussion. As Brad Scott put it, heterosexual and homosexual were not created at the beginning of all things. It was male and female. He created two genders that could unify to co-create and be like God in that regard. So Paul describes the nature of human beings when he does this. He reminds you that the nature of human beings is what God created in the garden. They are naturally male and female, and homosexuality is not part of the nature that God created. So some people take this for instance, and they say, well, if you naturally are homosexual, then you're not violating this. Or if you're naturally heterosexual and you commit a homosexual act, then you're violating it. No, no. Paul is trying to tell you, you have to go to Genesis to see what nature is. Male and female are the nature that God created. Okay, God does not make this, God did not make heterosexual and homosexual. 
Again, Brad Scott nails that one on the head. And in fact, statistically speaking, this is why homosexual identity has is more accepted and even taught by culture now. And with that teaching, we're seeing the rise in homosexuality, especially among teenagers. It's because it's learned behavior. It isn't natural. You're not born that way. It's offered as a solution to pain. But there are also other factors, and I want to be really... Um, careful when I talk about this because I could end up offending everybody, but you know, I guess that's okay. Listen, there are endocrine disruptors in the plastics and PEGs and the stuff that we use. And so I have a lot of sympathy for people who honestly feel hormonally off or feel that they're attracted to different people, not only because they may have had sexual experiences that they might not have, that might not be right, right? That they maybe weren't supposed to have, which imprinted sexual identity on them. And that has been proven scientifically that does happen. But also because in our food and in our water and the plastics we have put in our bodies as children and what we even experience in the womb, these endocrine disruptors can really mess with how you feel, what you feel your gender is, how you feel as a person. I mean, your hormones run everything and your endocrine system runs your hormones. And so if that is messed up, you can have a lot of effeminate men and masculine women, and they're going to feel like that's who they are. And it's actually a, a chemical problem. And that that is also being proven in the science realm now. That's so tragic to me. And we can just thank all the big corporations out there who decided to destroy our food and destroy the soil and throw chemicals at the public without any thought of testing or to see what would happen, especially to children with this. And it's a big reason why I'm a fan of eating organic and staying healthy and trying to keep your kids, you know, don't let your baby eat plastic. Oh my word. You know, that we, we need to start thinking really long and hard about don't allow desecration of your body. Let's, let's really be careful that, you know, God, the Bible commands us to be kind to animals. We need to stop eating the animals that are abused their whole lives. That's not right. And there's hormones that are put into those things, and it's going to mess with you. You know, so we have some big questions to ask about our food and our water and our environment in this conversation as well. So we have the problem of learned behavior, but we also have the problem of chemical disruption that is affecting our culture all at once. Um, And so we still need to stand strong, but we have good scientific data behind, hey, here are some reasons that we know this isn't natural. But this could be a product of environment. This is nature. This is a product of environment. It's not, I'm sorry, this is nurture, um, not nature. So listen, all teenagers experience, I mean, almost all, maybe not all. Maybe you have a few teenagers around that haven't had any angst or, you know, haven't had any hormone, you know, ups and downs. But I remember being a teenager and a lot of those years were just plain miserable And if homosexuality or gender identity issues were offered as the solution and a niche where I could be totally loved and accepted, I mean, who knows what I would have chosen? Who knows what all of us would have chosen if that was given to us as the answer when we were so young? But we need to stand firm and understand what's actually going on here and that the Bible absolutely says, no, this isn't right. This is not what I created. God says, this is not what I created. So obviously, um, we're at, we're at a crossroads with this issue. 
And when we have the church coming out and completely ignoring the rest of the testimony of Scripture and just using, once again, it's Paul. Once again, we are using Paul to create all brand new doctrines. This is one of the greatest problems the modern American church has had in its entire existence. By the way, if you want to understand the history of that, it's called Marcionism. Marcion believed that Paul had basically written a new religion and a new God, and boy, do we treat Paul that way. Paul is rolling in his grave. But Paul, you know, even according to the historians and the research I've looked up, Paul did not misspeak in 1 Corinthians 6.9 or 1 Timothy 1.10. The evidence is there that he's absolutely talking about homosexual behavior. And as much as we can say, yes, he didn't use the term homosexual because that term wasn't around, they certainly described the behavior accurately. And so I hope this has kind of helped you put some context to this particular issue, given you a few more Bible verses, given you a little bit more history. You could dig into this for a lot longer. Um, And, you know, I try to usually keep these podcasts a little bit shorter. We could do this discussion for hours and hours because there are a lot more verses. There are a lot more places. But um, these were the main ones that I found um, in a couple of great articles that I thought really brought the point home. The ideal relationship for you is someone who is your opposite in gender because there is a spiritual representation there. And if we want to say that we have a spirit and a soul, which we believe, then what is going on spiritually is just as important as what's going on physically. And for for those who struggle with this, like I said previously, there's a lot of reasons that struggle is taking place, but it's not because God made you that way. There are other things that you might want to go look into to, to just say, hey, why am I having this struggle? Why do I feel so off? Why do I feel so different? Have I been overly exposed to endocrine disruptors? Did I have an imprintable sexual experience that now I have to fight to overcome? You know, go look at the data, the science, the research that's out there regarding this because there is a good science. And um, if you have children, You want to think about protecting them from the imprintable ideas that might be happening in their school, but also be protecting them from things like PEGs in your lotions and your soaps and and in your um, food supply and plastics. And, you know, be a little more cautious and careful about what your kids are putting into their bodies or putting on their bodies, because all of this stuff that's so cheaply made and that so many giant companies make cheap and just throw at you There's a lot of stuff in there that can really do damage. And if it's not causing an endocrine disruption, it's causing some other problem. So we have a little bit of an uphill battle here, but by the grace of God, one step at a time, right? And and what you really want to do is go pray about what your next step is and what God wants for you. Know that the Bible has said that this behavior is wrong, alongside all the other sexual sins, by the way. And listen— There's a long laundry list of people who don't get into heaven, and without the blood of Christ, I'm on that list. I I think about this all the time. Wow. Without the blood of Christ, I would have no hope. I am on the same list as everybody else out there who has committed these sins. And so, you know, this is not condemnation. This is just truth-telling. We're just telling the truth. This is what the Bible says. You can be mad at me all you want, but you know what? You really ought to be mad at the Lord about it. Go to him with your concerns, with your issues with it, because he's the one that wrote the word. He's the one that said this. But then remember, he's not doing it to hurt you. He is doing it because he loves you. He is doing it to help you. He wants you to know 
Maybe you're supposed to have your own kids. Maybe you're not supposed to cut off your lineage. Maybe you're not supposed to just be with whoever. There is a, if you are supposed to be married, there's a partner for you that is your opposite, that is going to oppose you and be different than you and look different than you and think differently than you. And they're going to push you and challenge you to become more like Christ. And there's wholeness in that opposition, right? To that other side of the coin. And we need to embrace that. We need to embrace our differences as male and female. Um, and stop thinking that any sexual behavior or just any anything we want to do, if it feels like love, that it is love. No, God defines love. He tells us to love the Lord is to obey his commands. And if you want to obey his commands, you got to know where his commands are. And they are in the first five books of the Bible. And there is where you find this command. And so... Uh, if you're a believer and you already believe all this, I hope this has empowered you with some new tools. If you don't believe this, I hope this has helped you to maybe just question where you're at and go do some more research and go, don't be in an echo chamber. Don't just listen to the people that agree with you. Go listen to some people who disagree with you. Just like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I have found out I'm wrong about things and I got to go back and fix that. <laughs> what a pain in the butt, but I'm willing to do that because I love God more than I love my rightness. I love God more than I love my sexual identity. I love God more than I love my freedom. Whatever my definition of freedom is, I'll tell you the ultimate freedom is the freedom you receive when you submit your life to Christ. Because then you've got eternity bundled up right here, right now. And um, and I'll t- I'll tell you this too. There's not one act of obedience that God has not just poured out blessing over my life in one way, shape, or form. So trust in the Lord. Trust that if you take that step of obedience, it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be the hardest thing you think you've ever done. But on the other side, there is God's shalom, his peace. I hope that this has been helpful to you. I honestly do truly love you all. Pray for you. Um, Pray many blessings for you. Go out and use this for good, please. All right, till next time.